0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa and on channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet. I'm Tracy Bumgard driving the show with Onele Nsinsi, Sunny Matibula and Tabiso Ntema. Your top stories on Africa Digest this hour. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission blames opposition groups for the death of 700 ordinary citizens, which took place during anti-government protests. And thousands of Nigerian refugees returned to their country from Cameroon after several years of fleeing Boko Haram atrocities. But first, the news with Onele.
2: Thank you, Tracy. Burkina Faso police have staged a nationwide protest calling it the first in a series of peaceful demonstrations against corruption and a lack of transparency among their leaders. Tensions have grown within the country's police forces in recent months. The recent rise in fears over extremist attacks in Burkina Faso is another source of pressure on police in this West African nation. A lecturer-in-law at the UK-based University of Kiel, Awal Elo, has dismissed the findings of a report by the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission into the killings of ordinary citizens during anti-government protests. The commission, which presented its findings to Parliament on Tuesday, says security forces had no choice but to respond with lethal force as protesters were using live ammunition. According to the report, almost 700 people were killed since protests erupted in the Oromia, Amara and SNNP regions since late 2015 until October 2016 when a state of emergency was imposed. ELO says the findings of the commission are far from the truth.
3: The figures put forward by uh, the commission are significantly less than the numbers that were tallied by activists and opposition politicians. All in all, the numbers that were put out by uh, the commission simply do not represent the number of days that have taken place. And by the way, the commission itself is not a credible, is not an independent institution that can really have a legitimate authority in investigating these matters. It is very much an integral part of the government. It is not independent, it is not impartial, and this report cannot be considered as a legitimate report.
2: South African political analyst Njiko Maleleke says opposition parties calling for secret vote in the motion of no confidence in the country's President Jacob Zuma, hoping that the ruling ANC MPs will vote in favor of the motion, are contradicting themselves. He says most, if not all, parliamentarians vote according to their individual party protocols and instructions. Maleleke says MPs take into account a number of considerations when they do this.
4: It depends which principle will take
5: priority here, whether it is the party political loyalty principle or the constitutional values and people's representative principle. And of course, the other question is, are there exceptions to the party political loyalty principle? In other words, could we say, There are circumstances which are so special that one needs to suspend loyalty to the party for the sake of whatever the bigger principle is.
2: Sri Lanka has ended the search for survivors five days after a huge garbage mountain collapsed onto a slum, killing 32 people and forcing the evacuation of hundreds of residents. Another 11 were injured when the 300-foot dump partially collapsed last Friday, as the people of Sri Lankan celebrated their n- traditional New Year. On Wednesday, Prime Minister O'Neill promised survivors permanent housing within a couple of months. And lastly, the government of Swaziland has refuted claims that King Swati III has banned divorce in the kingdom. This is after there has been widespread reports that the king announced that divorce has been banned in his country. King Swati was speaking at an Easter weekend prayer service in Lobamba near Mbabane. Swazi government spokesperson Sabelo Chamini claims that some people are intentionally may- misinterpreting what the king had said.
6: There is no law penalty in,
5: in Swaziland. When the king meets people, when the king meets Swaziland, he usually talks about issues of national interest for families, especially and for the strengthening of Swazi culture. Swazi culture is, is is one of those cultures which seek for families to be united.
2: Channel Africa News. I am Onyilenzinzi.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission blames opposition groups for almost 700 killings of ordinary citizens which took place during anti-government protests in the regions of Oromia, Amahara and SNNP since late 2015. The Commission which presented its findings to Parliament on Tuesday says security forces had no choice but to respond with lethal force as protesters were using live ammunition. The investigation was commissioned by the group of the Ba government, while independent rights organizations were prevented from conducting their own ground investigations. It will allow a lecturer in lawyer at the UK-based University of Kiel, has dismissed the findings of the report, saying they are far from the truth.
3: The figures put forward by uh, the Commission are significantly less than the numbers that were tallied by activists and opposition politicians. Just on the 2nd of October, the day confrontation took place between security forces and people celebrating the election, According to opposition figures, close to seven hundred people were killed just on that date. Long before the emergency was declared, sometimes around January of twenty sixteen, Human Rights Watch put out even figure saying that about around four hundred people were killed. And that was a very conservative figure. So All in all, the numbers that were put out by uh, the commission simply do not represent the number of days that have taken place. And, by the way, the commission itself is not a credible, is not an independent institution that can really have a legitimate authority in investigating these matters. It is very much an integral part of the government. It is not independent. It is not impartial. And this report cannot be considered as a legitimate report.
7: The government blamed a lot of violence on opposition groups, saying security forces had no choice but to respond with a lethal force. Do they have a leg to stand on? This has been the narrative from the word go since the violence started.
3: There was a moment in which the protest turned somewhat violent. And even that was violence not necessarily directed against individuals but against government buildings, against foreign investment and private businesses that are uh, suspected to have links with, with the ruling party. And those were, in my view, very specific targeted measures taken by the protesters to attack uh, the legitimacy of the state itself because this is a state that draws its legitimacy not so much from popular mandate but completely from this narrative of Ethiopia rising, Ethiopia as a developmental giant. So the government has every role in instigating the violence insofar as there were violent moments in the protests.
7: When it comes to accountability moving forward, how do you see this happening in terms of holding those who are wrong being held accountable? No members of the security services have faced any charges for the killing of the protesters.
3: Um, Ethiopia is a fiercely uh, authoritarian state where legal institutions and ideas of legality and accountability has no place whatsoever, especially when it comes to members of the ruling elite. So I have no confidence whatsoever on the government. Or on the judicial institutions in that country, that they will hold the police and security forces accountable for uh, for these abuses. You are absolutely right that the commission made very brief references to uh, accountability of security forces. In my view, that is simply intended to give uh, the report an appearance of you know some kind of impartiality and independence. But other than that. Uh, There is simply no reason to believe that this is a credible, uh, legitimate report because the Human Rights Commission in Ethiopia, uh, this particular body, is simply an instrument of repression.
7: The issue at hand, the land issue, in your analysis, you say at face value, the situation just seemed to be just about the expansion of territorial limits. But also there's been a manifestation of long simmering discontents around ethnic lines. What are your thoughts around how government has handled that and how it's going to happen?
3: Yeah. One of the things that makes it very difficult for the international community to understand the way the European system works is that when you look at the architecture, the legal architecture itself, it's absolutely fine. It's radically democratic. The constitution is democratic. The architecture of the institution is absolutely fine. But in practice, uh, these institutions have no constitutional authority, no independence, precisely because of this control. Uh, The question of nationalities, which is um, the issue of self-determination and uh, cultural autonomy, as self rule, those questions were not addressed, and ethnic groups throughout the country do not have the right to determine their affairs at the local level. And the land question is also the same, although land now belongs to um, what is called nations, nationalities, and peoples of Ethiopia. In recent days, the government has embarked on uh, basically taking land from uh, Pisa and selling it to uh, foreign investors as part of what is called um, developmental state policy. Um, So uh, the two major questions uh, in Ethiopian politics that were responsible for the two revolutions that we had in the last 50 years were still there as central critical questions that the government needs to deal with.
1: That was a will Allo, a lecturer-in-law at the UK-based University of Kiel, on the line talking to Selena in Tobong. Lesotho's three main partners in the governing coalition say they will jointly field one candidate per constituency for all their supporters to vote together in a snap election, expected to be held in June. Lesotho's Prime Minister, Pakilita Musesidi's party, the Democratic Congress, Deputy Prime Minister Singh's Lesotho Congress for Democracy and other coalition parties have entered into a pact to vote for one another. Candidates for 80 constituencies were announced earlier today. To talk more about this, we are now joined on the line from Lesotho by political analyst Dr. Inyani. Good afternoon.
8: Good afternoon and thanks for having me.
1: Well, take us through how exactly this pact will work.
8: Thanks. Um, I think it's important to lay some context here, that um, the the, the parties that are going to form the the electoral pact, the the pre-election pact, are the parties that are today forming the coalition government that has just collapsed when some members of it defected from it, both in, in government and in the National Assembly. And these parties are now thinking that perhaps they can enhance their fortunes in elections by making an arrangement. And this arrangement is such that they have divided the constituencies. The country is divided into 80 constituencies. The main uh, coalition partner, the Democratic Congress, which is the one that is led by the Prime Minister Musa is going to take about 55 constituencies. And the, the second biggest political party, the Lesotho Congress for Democracy, is going to take 25 constituencies, and one smaller partner, the PFD, is going to be given one constituency. So the the, the target with these coalition partners is that they intend to maximize the number of constituencies that they would they would win in this election. Remember again that. Lesotho is using a mixed uh, electoral system where the the National Assembly of 120 members is is composed of 80 constituencies and 40 proportional representation members of parliament. So in order for one to win government, you have to get 50 plus one of, of, of the members of the National Assembly, which is 61 seats of the National Assembly. So if... A political party wins sixty one seats from election, it forms government outside. So these coalition partners today are aiming to get at least sixty one constituencies which will make them a sixty plus one at least sixty one constituencies which will make them a a fifty plus one percent of the National Assembly there are challenges with that arrangement but of course there are there are prospects um, and, and 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 challenges the where it is likely to succeed is if they indeed manage to get 61 constituencies because that would enable them to get a government outright but if they are not able to get 61 constituencies which is highly likely depending on the nature of the competition at, within the, the, the political landscape in Lesotho is going to be a big challenge because they will, they will lose the proportion of, of voters. So, so, so they, they, this electoral, electoral pact is, is solely targeting the, the constituencies and is disregarding the proportion, the proportional lake of the electoral system, which is a bit of a risk for them.
1: Now, what is your general feel about the candidates?
8: Well, the candidates uh, most of the time don't mean that much in our in our landscape. What what matters a, a lot here is is the political parties and the leaders themselves. So today, what what the Independent Electoral Commission has been doing has been to announce the constituency contestants to the to the members of the public. Um, most of the time, you will find that uh, what looms large. Um, is a political party even more than more than a candidate uh, himself? Even during the election, our voters here would be looking uh, to 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 the to the symbol of a political party even more than the the candidate. It's on very exceptional circumstances where a candidate or a contestant at the constituency level may mean something during during election.
1: Now, the previous coalition formed in 2015 is fragmented. How far do you see these cracks reaching in the coming elections?
8: Well, the, 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 the country seems to be trapped uh, in, in, in this coalition arrangement. You remember we started this uh, coalition politics in 2012. In fact, it ought to have started earlier because uh, since the country adopted this mixed system, um, the, the, the dominant uh, party system uh, started to, 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 to fizzle away. So, so, so what we're having now is that uh, we no longer have what we call dominant party system. All parties now uh, have, 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 have an impact in determining how government is formed and how government is sustained while formed. So, 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 so it's like we are, we are we are trapped. Even even this election that we are going to have today uh, is likely to produce a harm parliament, which 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 whose stability is, is is still already an an issue.
1: Now, there's also the issue of the emergence of new potentially strong parties. Has this, in your view, levelled the playing field?
8: Yes, there are some parties, particularly those that defected from government. There are two political parties that defected from from government. One has defected from the main uh, coalition partner, the Musa Party. Party. Um, the, 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 the party that defected there is uh, Alliance of, of Democrats. It, it's led by the former deputy of of, of music it 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 seems to be stronger on the on the crown but of course the the election is always is always a the best measure another political party is the one that he defected from Lesotho congress for democracy it is now called a, a movement for economic change is it, is led by one of the outspoken former outspoken ministers of the of of of, of government those two parties might, might uh, shift some some landscape in a way, and 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 and, and arguably, that, that it might tilt the the scales um, in favor of the opposition.
1: Dr. Njani, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Okay. That was political analyst Dr. Nyani joining us on the line from Masiru, Lesotho.
0: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
8: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa.
2: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa.
9: For Channel Africa, I am Kumbira Mnjurere in Johannesburg.
8: Channel Africa
10: Kinshasa, Jean Noël Bamwese.
0: Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelo. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: The Southern African Development Community, SADC, has today formally launched the SADC Qualifications Framework. This is in an effort to recommit to and to make the movement of learners and workers across the region a reality. The regional framework consists of 10 levels, which are based on learning outcomes. To discuss this further, we are joined on the line by Joe Samuels, Chairperson of SADC's Technical Committee on Certification and Accreditation. Welcome.
4: Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, what I want to do is to really explain that uh, the decision uh, to have a SADC qualification framework uh, was taken in 2011, um, you know, by SADC, by the Council of Ministers, and for a period of um, a period of five years. Um, you know that um, um, you know that there wasn't uh, too much progress. So what we are really doing um, uh, today is to raise awareness about the fact that the, that the set qualifications framework, um, you know, has uh, a decision has been taken, uh, you know, by the ministers to establish it, and so it's really about making sure that we are clear in terms of that um, we are now moving towards implementation, um, and also to clarify that. Um, this is really a technical um, committee that is um, making the the countries aware, and that the more official, the official launch will, will happen, uh, you know, by the ministers late in the year.
1: Now, why did it take so long to eventually launch when it was first established in
4: 2011? Um, look, there's um, you know there's uh, you know a number of. Um, um, you know, uh, issues, as it were, that um, you know that came up and which made made the the, um, the implementation difficult. Um, uh, amongst others, um, you know, has been uh, the question about resources and so on. But you know, the 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 committee was uh, was very established um, uh, and uh, met in uh, September 2016, and that is when you know the work then uh, started to. Uh, uh, you know, to make sure that uh, uh, people in the region know uh, about this and that we are working toward implementation now.
1: Now take us through the framework's 10 levels. What are they based on?
4: Look, um, the framework is based on there's a set of what is called level descriptors that really outline um, from um, a more simple uh, a set of um, uh, Qualifications to more complex ones. So, for example, uh, level one would be more or less, um, you know, the stuff at grade um, uh, grade nine, and uh, level ten will be people who have got uh, 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 PhDs uh, or doctoral degrees. So, it is these levels of complexity you know, of the qualifications, uh, you know, as as you move up the ladder.
1: Now, how will you ensure the qualifications framework is successfully implemented?
4: look, what we what we are doing, there are three things that we um, that we are working on simultaneously. One one is that we um, you know that the different countries and there are fifteen um, member states um, is meant to look at their education systems and um, the their national qualification framework, and they need to, um align those with the the, the SETIC, uh, qualifications framework so that's the first thing is alignment secondly um also the the SETIC framework has got an, uh, a number of quality assurance guidelines and the countries um, must now benchmark um you know their um, quality assurance uh, mechanism you know against uh, the guidelines and the reason for that is we want to make sure that uh, people are, um, you know, offering quality qualifications in the country, and therefore that would align, allow for trust to develop across uh, the countries. And then, thirdly, we have also se- we are also setting up a um, a CEDEC, uh, verifications, qualifications verification network that will verify the qualifications, you know, of people as they move. And the reason for that is very simple: that we would really like to stamp out. Um, the idea of fraudulent and uh, qualifications and misrepresented qualifications. So those are the three areas that we that we are embarking on and working towards.
1: Now, what will happen if you come across a, a one that's been that's fraudulent? Um, what happens then?
4: Well, um, with these agencies that has been established, you know, we will be able to talk to each other. So, for example, if a a person Uh, obtains a qualification from, um, you know, a bogus institution and so on, and they claim that this institution, um, you know, is operating in a particular area. With this network, we are able to quickly find out um, that, um, you know, this qualification is not genuine. Um, And then it will mean that, um, you know, the person, um, you know, the qualification will not be recognized. And depending on who's asking in what country it is, uh, you will be able to bring that to the uh, attention of the authorities. For example, in South Africa, um, our Minister of our Education has, um, uh, is in the process of, of, of getting legislation uh, through Parliament um, where um, we will be able to publish a register uh, of uh, those people who who have faked their qualifications.
1: Mr. Samuels, thank you very much.
4: It is a, indeed a pleasure and thank you very much for having us
1: pleasure that was joe samuels chairperson of sadix technical committee on certification and accreditation this is africa digest The Democratic Republic of Congo's opposition rally remains divided more than a week after President Joseph Kabila appointed a new prime minister to lead the government of national unity. The new government is expected this week after Prime Minister Bruno Chebala concluded consultations in that way. Although the rally's leg until under late opposition leader Etienne Chisekedi's son has rejected his participation in such a government. Jean Noel Bamwese reports from Kinshasa.
10: The opposition rally leg under Felix Chisekedi, well known as the Limited Rally, believes the President Joseph Kabila has violated the last December agreement when he decided to appoint Bruno Chibala as Prime Minister. That's indeed the reason why the limited rally didn't even accept to be consulted by a prime minister described as chosen by President Kabila while he was supposed to be chosen by the opposition rally and appointed by the head of state according to the agreement. Brino Chibala was chosen from the other opposition rally leg, well known as the Kasavubu rally. This leg's leader, Joseph Olengankoi, has called on all opponents, including those under Felix Tisekedi, to come together and bring their support to the newly expected government of national unity. Joseph Olengankoi. We are determined for the government to bring together the skilled children of this country and we call upon our opposition rally fellows who are still hesitating to join us so that we can be really united and share ideas. And indeed, most of analysts here believe the appointment of a new prime minister instead of solving the crisis and a way and lead the country towards elections, has come to worsen the situation and things might be more complicated in the coming days. The opposition rally had it very difficult to remain united after the death of its leader, Etienne Sekedi, since most of the leaders of the rally party members wanted to get the position and become president of the opposition rally. And according to this analyst from Africa Connection, Alan Waikani, Etienne Chisekedi was working to promote his own image. And that's what the opposition rally is now victim of. If Chisekedi left
11: behind him people with the real ideology, we could not face what we are facing today. It is very clear. The story is proving us that different leaders have passed away in this country. It's the same with musician. If you see a musician pass away, there's nothing behind him saying that uh, the group will continue. It's the same with politician. Chisekedi was working on his own image, on his own ambition. And the proof is there, no one can declare today the political heritage of Chisekedi because there is no that political heritage. Mobutu has passed away no one can say today he has political ideology of Mobutu, because it was not a political value it was a value of people and this is the consequence that rassemblement is facing. it is a group of people around the interest of their own image their own wealth just listen in their debate there is no People in their debate, there is no population, there is no program. But ask me right now, on which program do you want to take the government? What would you like to change? Nothing. It used to be the habit of our political classes because in Congo, we work on the events, we don't work on the ideology. People work in this country on the present situation; they don't work on the future, and it's very, very
10: easy. To be divided as they are today the new government might be known this weekend but most of observers here believe the opposition rally would get reunited first otherwise this country will remain under continuing trouble channel africa kinshasa Noel bamwezi time now
1: for headlines with onele
2: The United Nations has found a further 17 mass graves in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari suspends two key aides over an alleged contract scam, and millions of Ethiopians continue to face a hunger crisis for a second consecutive year, following an ongoing drought. Channel Africa News. I am Onyilinzinzi.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: An estimated five thousand delegates from all over the African continent are gathering in South Africa's coastal city of Cape Town for the World Travel Market Africa Trade Show. The event attracts travel agents, tour operators and media from across the world. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Sujan Pele, commercial director at Reed Exhibitions. Good afternoon and welcome to Channel Africa.
12: Good afternoon and thank you for having me.
1: Okay. Tell us briefly about this gathering.
12: Well, as you were saying, you know, it's a global travel trade show that's happening uh, for the fourth time now in South Africa. Um, It's called WTM Africa. It's part of a global brand called WTM London, which is one of the biggest travel trade shows globally. And uh, four years ago, we decided to to launch an African chapter of WTM. Um, And as you said, it brings together travel professionals from across the world. This year, we've got uh, over 40 countries that are represented. 21 of, of which are from, uh, out, out of South, from Af- mainland Africa, out of South Africa. So we're quite uh, thrilled about the fact that you know, uh, African countries themselves are coming here to showcase their, their destinations as tourism destinations. The whole objective of this event is to promote Africa to the world as a travel destination, and I think that over the last four years, uh, you know, this platform has really been successful in uh, in getting more tourists to come into into South Africa and in, onto the continent as well.
1: How does this year's edition differ from the rest?
12: Well, this year there's a very strong focus on uh, you know on technology. Uh, as you know, technology uh, drives most economies, and certainly from a tourism point of view, there are new developments that are taking place in uh, in technology which really aims to enhance uh, the tourism economies. So we have a very strong focus on, uh, on technology over the, over the few days. There's also a very big focus on responsible tourism. Uh, as a destination that, uh, that's, uh, that's very, very much environmentally friendly, it's important that we sensitize the industry on the benefits of being uh, responsible, and so there's a two-day conference that focuses on that as well. But more importantly, there's the trade side of, uh, of WTM Africa where you have over <clears throat> a 1,000 international buyers that are looking to do business, uh, not just in South Africa, but with other countries on the African continent. So when they come here, they actually meet with products around the continent, uh, attractions, mm-hmm. tourism agencies, and so forth, to understand what is it that they have to offer. Uh, I mean, last year alone, uh, during WTM Africa, there were over 333 million dollars worth of business deals that were signed uh, during that time, and we and we definitely in this year uh, that uh, that figure will be exceeded. So, so really, it's 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 a business to business event that's aimed at promoting the continent and South Africa as a travel destination.
1: Give us a sense of the state of travel and tourism on the continent at the moment, with a particular focus on the SADC region.
12: Well, look, certainly, you know, we've seen a, a strong growth uh, on the continent uh, over the past uh, decade now. And I think because of this growth, uh, you know, global brands such as WTM is interested in, uh, in, in, in Africa. And, uh, you know, the, the, the global trend has been since 2008, there's been a drop in, in foreign tourist arrivals. Uh, but Africa has, has bucked a trend, you know, and so Africa has become an opportunity for tourism growth. And you find that more and more international uh, uh, tour operators, uh, hospitality companies are launching in South Africa, the Marriott Group, the Radisson Group. You know, a lot of these big groups are, are sort of opening more and more hotels on the continent. So from that perspective, you know, the tourism has been seen as a, as a growth driver on the African continent. Certainly in South Africa, you know, we've seen an increase in arrivals over the last year. Uh, and we believe that it's platforms like WTM Africa, that contributes towards that growth. Uh, You know, it's important to bring international buyers into a destination, to sample the destination and to understand what the destination has to offer. And that's exactly what we're doing. And I think that uh, over the past five years, we've seen a steady growth in the number of visitors that are coming into into WTM Africa. I mean, we've seen a 27% increase in visitor arrivals uh, this year compared to last year. So clearly, there's a very strong interest on uh, African tourism products by the international community.
1: Let us in on some of the exhibitions that will be at the show. What can attendees expect?
12: Well, alongside the exhibition itself, you know, there's a number of uh, seminars and workshops that are taking place. I mentioned the, the issue around travel technology, which is a huge focus. Um, but there's also we, there's a session dealing with sports tourism tomorrow in the afternoon uh, where we're going to be launching a sports tourism exhibition uh, next year, alongside WTM Africa, and, and that should be really exciting for the, for the sports tourism industry. There's, the build, there's a strong focus on business tourism as well, the meetings industry, the intensive industry that takes place um, uh, tomorrow and Friday. Uh, and then on Saturday, there's the ILTM event, which is your luxury travel show. And that really brings together all your luxury products from around the continent. Um, uh, to meet with uh, potential luxury operators from around the world. So the event continues until the weekend. Uh, it started off today with the leisure, with a very strong focus on the leisure part of the industry, um, and that will carry on till tomorrow. Um, and yeah, there's there's a number of seminars and workshops uh, that dealing with adventure tourism, uh, food tourism, medical tourism. You know every is being dealt with uh, this week at this conference. And we have a number of international speakers, a number of local experts as well, that will share their knowledge and experiences with the delegates that are actually attending the event.
1: Mr. Pillay, thank you very much.
12: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: That's Sujan Pillay, Commercial Director at Reed Exhibitions. This is Africa
0: Digest.
1: Thousands of Nigerian refugees have been returning to their country after several years they fled Boko Haram atrocities in Cameroon. The refugees who are returning with the hope of finding peace have received assurances from the military that the insurgents' firepower has been drastically weakened. Moki Kinzeka reports from Photocall on Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria.
5: two-day-old baby boy born to the Aji Mojo family cries as her parents take their seats in a Cameroon military truck on the border town of Fotokol, where they are transiting to the Nigerian town of Gamburu, Ngala. Fifty-eight-year-old Aji Mojo says he and his wife are grateful to God that they are returning in good health and with a gift of a baby boy. On our way coming, she make a deliverance whereby the security agents of the Cameroon republic that is the army take the responsibility of her take her to the hospital and uh, maintain her and brought her now she has born a new boy Aji says he and his wife escaped from gamburu two years ago when boko Haram fighters launched ceaseless attacks on their localities killing kidnapping and stealing about 700 are leaving Cameroon under the escort of the military. Ismaila Ali, a Cameroonian military official, escorting the refugees, says most of them are originally from the Nigerian villages of Banki, Gulumba, Gamburu, as well as Bama town.
10: He says
5: since the month of March, they have repatriated 6,695 refugees up to the Nigerian border town of Mubi in the Adamawa state. He says the refugees are fed, given drinkable water and treated when they fall ill during the
8: journey. A UNHCR
10: survey conducted in
5: September 2016 in Minawawo, where about 80,000 Nigerian refugees lived at the time indicate that 71% expressed their intention to return as soon as the situation is conducive in their areas of origin. Last month, the governments of Cameroon and Nigeria together with UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency signed a tripartite agreement for the voluntary repatriation of the refugees Cameroon's Minister of Territorial Administration and Decentralisation, Rene Emmanuel Sadi, says his country is respecting the terms of the agreement before sending the refugees
11: back. De partis, à savoir, uh,
5: Nigeria, Cameroon. He says Cameroon, according to the terms of the agreement, has to assure that the refugees' return is safe while their dignity is respected and there is no question of forcing them to return but making sure that they and their families go back when they are sure that peace and security has returned to their
11: localities.
5: I asked Lazar Kusi Etienne, UNHCR's representative in Cameroon, to comment on last month's media report that the country had been forcefully repatriating the refugees. They say that that groundless uh, statement, is forcing a refugee in Cameroon to repatriate. And we are doing our level best uh, to meet some of the needs uh, for food, for water, for health, for education. Uh, But I'm saying we have to work together in a sense of appropriation so that uh, we improve the living condition of everybody here. Boko Haram's eight-year insurgency to carve out an Islamic state in northeastern Nigeria has killed at least 25,000 people and forced some 2 million to flee their homes. Large-scale attacks by the insurgents have greatly reduced but the terrorist group has resorted to suicide bomb attacks. Cameroon and Nigeria think that their firepower has greatly reduced and the refugees could return if they wish. The two countries late last year reopened their borders for business activity. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka, in photocall.
0: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
8: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
2: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa.
8: For Channel Africa, I am Kumbera Munjore in Johannesburg.
10: Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze.
0: Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: Time now for the business news
9: with Wissanie Matebula. Any economic news? This our South African Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba says he believes the economic setbacks the country has suffered are temporary. GABA has been addressing the media before he embarks on a multi-city roadshow of the United States in Washington on Thursday. He will participate in the annual spring meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. This will be his first international trip after the exiting of his predecessor, Pravin Godan, which led to the country's credit ratings being downgraded twice to sub-investment grade or junk status. He also plans to reassure investors of the country's commitment to fiscal discipline and work to prevent south africa from suffering a third downgrade from moody's gigaba says he however can't guarantee that moody's won't downgrade the country
10: we can't give that guarantee we can only promise to engage with them and give them the reassurance as we have been doing with the others we are quite confident that the south african economy is resilient enough and robust and that uh, we are going to climb back to investment grade and 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 so um, the, the setbacks that we have suffered thus far in our own opinion are temporary setbacks
9: meanwhile south african treasury says finance minister madusi gagaba's advisor chris Maligane's views are articulated in an opinion piece are just that malikane wrote an opinion piece over the weekend on nationalization which has led to an uproar malikane's views that banks mines and the reserve banks should be nationalized led to accusations that it was trying to emulate the failed regime of venezuela south African treasury spokesperson michael medrete
5: there are a variety of views that
4: Professor Mandela will provide to the minister. The issue of nationalization is not on the card, but the issues that he is speaking about in your own clip about industrialization are a policies that we need to push aggressively. Those are the ones that we are going to be tapping into. We are saying that the professor is an academic, and he has every right to, to probe and, and encourage public discourse. We are saying to the public that public discourse and implemented
9: government policy are two different things. Unit has received the regulatory approval to extend the deadline of its share sale for three weeks, allowing investors more time to take part in the country's biggest initial public offering to date. The offer will now expire next month. The extension will give retail and institutional investors more time to take part. Foreigners are barred from participating in the share sale because of their domestic ownership rules in Tanzania. Vodacom Tanzania posted a 9% decline in profit last year. And South Africa's bus companies are counting losses following last week's nationwide wage strike, the strike which ended on Friday after the intervention by Labor Minister Mildred Oliphant left millions of commuters stranded. Workers' union were demanding a wage increase of 15% while the employer finally offered them 9%. Patco and Golden Arrow bus companies were some of the most affected. The company's 6,000 workers participated in the strike that collapsed services in the passenger bus sector. Golden Arrow's bus service spokesperson, Brown Dyke-Beyer.
8: During the strike,
2: we had more than 2,000 staff members out on strike. At this stage, it is too early to gauge the real effects of the strike, and that will unfortunately only
1: become apparent as time passes.
2: We are very happy to report that everything is stable, everything is back to normal, and uh, we just once again like to really apologize to our passengers for the inconvenience
6: that they did experience.
9: And South African food retailer pick-and-pay as a has reported a 17% increase in full-year profit. This as it extends its fresh produce range, open stores and focus on keeping prices low amid weak consumer spending. South African shopping chains have sought ways to attract customers with limited spending money as the 2016 slowdown in economic growth hit household incomes. Pick and Pay added 87 company-owned stores during the period, bringing the total to 890, including almost doubling the number of local convenience stores as it focused on communities in which it had not previously had shops. Financial indicators, the dollar 1331, South African rents, 10.40, Botswana Pula 9.36, Zambian kwacha, also trading at 0.79 to the British pound and 0.93 against the euro. The commodities market, gold $1,286, platinum $974 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $54.77 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now.
1: Time now for your sports news.
6: Good evening sports fans. I'm Tabison Tema with the latest sports update at this hour. After Bayern Munich and Leicester were knocked out on Tuesday night by Real Madrid and Atlético Madrid, the focus turns on tonight's matches. Barcelona are at home at no camp, having to overturn a 3-0 deficit against Juventus. Borussia Dortmund have everything to play for in overturning a 3-2 deficit against Monaco in France. These two ties are expected to explode into an all-out war for the last two spots left in the Champions League semi-finals draw set for Friday. Meanwhile, Bayern Munich coach Carlos Ancelotti has called for video reviews after his side was subjected to what he called blatant referees errors which led to Tuesday night's 4-2 loss to Real Madrid in the quarter-final second-leg match played at the Santiago Bernabeu Stadium. Real Madrid superstar Cristiano Ronaldo scored a controversial hat trick to push his side to 6-3 aggregate win. Bayern midfielder Arturo Vidal was sent off for a legitimate challenge while Casamiro of Real Madrid was let off the hook for the same challenge. Ancelotti says it's time to turn to technology to rid the game of many human errors.
11: We planned and played a very good match and I think we deserved more. Then the refereeing decisions affected us a lot honestly because Arturo's card was not a card. Cristiano's two goals were offside, so of course we're not happy about this. I think that in quarterfinals, you must use a referee with more quality, I think. UEFA is now trying, but I think it's time to install the video because there are too
6: many mistakes in this period. There are too many mistakes. Back home, round 25 of the South African Apsa Premiership kicks off tonight with three matches featuring four of the top five teams. Top of the law, Cape Town City have a massive home-down showdown with third-place Bidvers Vets at the Cape Town Stadium. In a match, City coach Eric Tingler says will be tough. It's going to be a tough task, but
7: you know we, we have a lot of self-belief in ourselves. We've had a very good season. So far, there's a lot of confidence, the morale is high, the team spirit is very high, and, and we like to back ourselves, and, and that's what's important, is just looking after ourselves and focusing on ourselves. And, and trying to achieve our personal objectives that we've set
6: ourselves. The Pretoria Derby between Supersport United and Sundowns returns after almost 10 days following the first round match which Sundowns won 5-0. Supersports coach Stuart Baxter says it's payback time.
4: Well, it'll, it'll bore it'll boy everybody a little bit, yeah, and I think, you know, the, I don't like saying, you know, revenge because everybody says that. But you're a professional and, you, and, you, and, you, and you're hurting. And so that hurt, you want to use it for something positive. They did tonight and hopefully we will against Sundowns.
6: Sundowns coach Pito Musimani says it's all about defending their goals to secure a win. But I said, you know, if you're going to score one, you must defend the one. You know, if you're going to score two, okay, you can play a little bit open. Platinum stars are away to Polokwani City in the other match. The league action will resume next Wednesday due to the NetBank Cup weekend. The Kenya Under-20 rugby national team departed this morning for the Africa Under-20 Championships that will be held in Madagascar. They reached the semi-final stage of this competition last year and are hoping to do better this time around having been drawn in Pool A together with Zimbabwe, Namibia and Madagascar. Sport passer, sponsorship manager Yvonne Namali.
0: We're actually doing a lot to support all the national rugby teams. Yeah. Uh, for the first time we're giving equal opportunity to all the national squads. Uh, as you will notice that the Under-20 team that has just left uh, this morning uh, were able to train for the first time in a long time uh, at a private institution with better facilities. So uh, basically we are leveling the playing field. If we're going to demand results from all the national squads, then we're going to empower them to be well prepared before the assignments.
6: That's your sport at this hour. Stay tuned on Channel Africa for sports, news and programming from an African perspective.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Recapping the top stories on Africa Digest this hour, the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission blames opposition groups for the death of 700 ordinary citizens, which took place during anti-government protests. And thousands of Nigerian refugees returned to their country from Cameroon after several years of fleeing Boko Haram atrocities. And that wraps up Africa Digest today from myself, Tracy Bumgaard, producer Lebo Mosuo, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.cede. But taking us to the top of the hour is Freshly Ground with Buttercup.